Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Visual Politics Podcast. I'm your host, Simon Whistler. This one is a video that originally aired on our YouTube channel. It's called The Problem with Venezuela. It was released on the 2nd of February 2019. As ever, I'm going to jump in from the future here uh, and explain if there's any charts that you know would have looked better on screen. I'll just jump in and explain what's going on so you have the full context. Uh, let's just, oh, before I, we just roll into it, if you want to leave us a review, that would be amazing. Head over to Apple Podcasts or wherever. It really does help the show out. It helps get this in front of more people. So it's a thing we really appreciate it. Uh, and let's get on with today's episode. There are a thousand ways to overthrow a dictator, from violent revolutions to peaceful transitions. But Venezuela is trying something rather unique. Its parliament has just named an alternative president to Nicolas Maduro. His name is Juan Guaido, and he's the man who will lead the country into democracy if he can actually pull it off. Let's be clear here, Venezuela is now under a dictatorship, Nicolas Maduro's dictatorship. And I know what you might be thinking right now. You might be thinking, well, Simon, how could it be a dictatorship? They totally have elections in Venezuela. And yes, they do. But people could also vote in Bangladesh, Egypt, and Azerbaijan. Even in North Korea, they have legislative elections every five years. And people could even choose among different political parties. I'm not being sarcastic. You can definitely Google that if you don't believe me. But look, if you want to have democracy, elections, they must be free and fair, and of course, you need freedom of speech. And freedom of speech in Venezuela is as scarce as toilet paper. Basically, all the websites that are critical of the government are banned, and that includes those using a link shortener like Bitly. Most of TV is nationalized or owned by friends of the government, and opposition newspapers, they can't be printed because the paper industry is a monopoly that's held by the government. Now, yes, you might still say, you know, Maduro, he's very popular among the people, isn't he? Isn't that right? Well, I mean, of course he is. In fact, every dictator in history was beloved by his people. You see, one of the first lessons in the dictator's handbook is never stop spending on propaganda. And another lesson is, of course, send all your enemies to prison. Once you have the courts in your pocket, it's easy to accuse anybody of any kind of crime. In Arabic dictatorships, they usually claim their opponents are terrorists. In Maduro's Venezuela, they just label them as conspirators. And now you might be thinking, well, sure, Simon, we get it. Maduro is a dictator, but proclaiming yourself as the legitimate president without winning an election? Isn't that kind of a coup? And this is what people kind of are saying nowadays, but the fact is the opposite is kind of true. A coup d'etat is defined as the taking of a government through the use of force by a group that has some kind of power inside of the system, usually the military. But Juan Guaido is using an article in the Venezuelan constitution instead. Article 233 allows the president of the National Assembly, that is Juan Guaido, to temporarily occupy the presidency of the republic in in the case of an absence of power. Since Maduro got to power by violating the constitution, there is no president now from a legal point of view. So now the new Venezuelan executive has 30 days to call for elections. So yes, Maduro's opposition is overthrowing a dictator by following the constitution to the latter. And this is why so many governments, including Trump's America and Trudeau's Canada, have recognized Mr. Guaido as the legitimate president of Venezuela. But there is still a big question that we have to ask here. Is this good? or bad news for Venezuela? Is it that easy to just end a dictatorship? Can you just go claim the presidency and then wait for America to recognize you and, well, that's it? 
Well, dear viewer, as you might expect, of course the answer is no. If there's a lesson we can learn from history on this subject, it's that even countries with the worst dictatorships can get even worse. Just look at Saddam Hussein's Iraq or Gaddafi's Libya. So is Venezuela heading towards this same fate, or are there reasons to be more optimistic about Venezuela's situation? Well, today we're actually not going to answer these questions because it's pretty impossible to do so, but we are going to give you the keys to understanding them. But before we do, as we always do, let's take a look back at the history. of democracy. Remember this date, May the 1st, 2017. In this moment, Venezuela's parliament was mostly made up of members of Maduro's opposition party. Of course, we aren't just talking about a party that opposed Maduro. In fact, there are many of those, and they range from left-wing to right-wing. But nobody really cares about them. Since 2016, its parliament has been declared disrespectful. This means they no longer have any legal power. Why not? Well, because according to the government, there were three MPs that won an election in an unfair manner. And big surprise here, three MPs was the exact number that they needed to avoid a two-third majority in Congress. With a two-thirds majority, the executive power would be in dire straits. And this is why Nicolas Maduro finally acted to cripple the opposition. I'm summoning the constituent power to achieve the peace this republic needs. We need to destroy this fascist coup d'etat. We need the people with their sovereignty to impose peace. That clip was from Telesan News. This was the exact moment where Maduro declared the parliament illegal. The only opposition he still has was politically killed. And what happened next? Well, basically, Maduro made a brand new parliament, the so-called Constituency Assembly. This was a parliament with 540 MPs, where, surprise, surprise, 503 were members of the government's party. Strange as this sounds, the movement could still be considered legal according to Venezuela's constitution. Article 348 says that the president can create a council to make a brand new constitution. The problem? Those MPs from the same political party were making all kinds of laws, including tax laws. It was, in fact, just a parallel parliament. In the meantime, the old parliaments, with the different political parties, kept holding sessions, but it didn't really have any power. The army and the police, they were on Maduro's side. This was when Venezuela went from kind of being just this sketchy democracy close to financial collapse to a classic dictatorship. But hold on a minute, because there's another important part here. This fake parliament called for elections, and as you can imagine, with nearly all of the members belonging to the president's political party, those elections were as predictable as the ending of the Passion of the Christ. Yes, you guessed it, Maduro, he won by a landslide. But of course, no serious country recognized the result of these elections. Already in 2018, Mike Pence, the American vice president, said this about Maduro. The United States has called this election what it really was, a sham. Maduro must hold free and fair elections, release all political prisoners immediately and unconditionally. Mike Pence, Vice President of the USA. The same happens in most South American and European countries. Nobody recognized the results of this election. The problem was, though, that there was no alternative to Maduro's rule. And this is how we got to January of 2019, when Maduro took office. Of course, he didn't do it before the National Assembly because he doesn't like those guys. Instead, he took office in front of the Supreme Court of Justice. According to the Constitution, this means that he made his oath illegally and therefore he is an illegal president. Having no legitimate president, the president of the National Assembly 
Assembly, Juan Guaido, made another oath. And this is when all of those countries who didn't recognize the outcome of the elections started recognizing Guaido as the legitimate president of Venezuela. All right, so now you might be thinking, was it? It was just five minutes after Guaido became president that Trump basically recognized him as the leader of Venezuela? Is, is that just pure chance, or maybe there was a plan in place already? Well, let's take a look at that. Who cares about Venezuela? If you've been following visual politics for a while, you already know that Venezuela is the country with the biggest oil reserves on the planet, even bigger than Saudi Arabia's, Russia's, or America's. The problem, though, is that they can hardly make a profit on them. You see, it's one thing to have lots of dinosaur juice, and it's entirely another to make money off that juice. Just have a look at this very chart. Here you can see the production cost of a barrel of oil by country. Saudi Arabia has the cheapest per barrel production cost. This is why even at low market prices, they always make a profit on a per barrel basis. Nonetheless, Venezuela is on the other side. They have one of the most expensive oils to produce. And if that's not enough, PDVSA, Venezuelan state oil company, is in chaos. Total production of oil in Venezuela has dropped precipitously from 2.7 million barrels per day to 1 million barrels per day. This is why, despite being the country with the biggest oil reserves on the planet, Venezuela produces less oil than Angola or Nigeria. In fact, they represent just 7% of the oil imports in America. This means their weight in the international economy is pretty small. This is especially true at a time when America is surpassing Saudi Arabia in oil production. Yep, America no longer that crazy about oil. On the other hand, you've also got Trump restricting investments in Venezuela. This means banks aren't really exposed to anything that happens in Venezuela, so they really don't care. And now, of course, the White House still doesn't like Maduro. That's why they've named Elliot Abrams as the special envoy to Venezuela. Abrams, by the way, was one of the people behind the Iran-Contra scandal, as well as Venezuela's coup against Chavez in 2002. But let's be honest, Trump has many things to think about besides Venezuela. In Spain, and generally the Spanish-speaking world, Venezuela is on the front page of all the newspapers. Everyone talks about it in the bars and cafes of Madrid. There is a debate going on by those who support Maduro and those who don't. But if you're in America, you might know that something has happened in Venezuela, but you probably aren't too passionate about it. Nonetheless, guess which country has a rather large stake in Venezuela, and I'm probably going to give it away when I say that it begins with a C. It's not Colombia. This quote comes from Next Big Future. China now taking 28% of Venezuela's oil production to repay debt. As we said in previous videos, China needs natural resources, so they made big loans to Venezuela. So far, Caracas owes Beijing more than $50 billion. That's the cost of three Olympic Games, but since Venezuela no longer has the money to pay their debts, they have to pay China with oil. And if you're still wondering why China still supports Maduro, well, he's the only one who can guarantee the oil shipments. Add to this drug trafficking. According to several DEA reports, between 15 and 20% of the cocaine trade goes through Venezuelan soil. Important figures such as Diaz Dodo Cabello would be directly involved in narco activities. Venezuela is a sort of narco state in the sense that it's a place where traffickers can establish their logistics hubs with the help of government officials. All right, so all of this is fine, but the big question is, can there really be a peaceful democratic transition in Venezuela? Well. Let's explore that now. What 
can be done about this? As we said before, Venezuelan opposition is completely fragmented. They have lots of political parties, conservatives, liberals, socialists, but unlike other countries like Poland or the Czech Republic, where they had strong leaders that opposed the dictators, there is no clear opposition to Maduro. But, well, now things have changed. With international support, Juan Guaido can really galvanize the democratic opposition. Of course, he's just the interim president, and this means that in 30 days he will have to call for elections. But this is kind of where the good news actually ends. You see, laws, they're just empty words if there's nobody to enforce them. This is why the military and the police are so important here. In other words, Guaido might have all the legitimacy he ever could want, but how can he call for elections if the army doesn't want this to happen? This explains why both Guaido and Maduro have been trying to seduce the army. This quote comes from Infobay. Nicolas Maduro demanded loyalty to the army. We must enforce the power of the Venezuelan nation with the military. So far, the army is on Maduro's side, at least at the time we're recording this video. Just a quick parenthesis here. At the moment we are editing this video, this is February the 2nd, a general of the Venezuelan army has just uploaded a YouTube video claiming that he supports Juan Guaido and he rejects the authority of Nicolás Maduro. The name of this army official is Francisco Esteban Yañez Rodriguez, and you can find the link to his video on the description below. Most high-ranking officials are completely loyal to his rule, and in the past few years, Caracas has been raising the salaries of the soldiers. Today, the average Venezuelan soldier can make more money than a surgeon, but still, it's not that much money. In fact, we're talking about the equivalent of about $80 a month. In other words, soldiers are still poor, just like the rest of the country. So is this enough to make the army rise up? Up against Maduro? Well, we don't know, but it is something to take into account. And what about all of those high-ranking officials? Well, that's a whole other story. In fact, they live really a lot better. Don't believe me? Well, let's take a trip through the Salamanca Quarter. Salamanca is the Spanish Manhattan. It's a luxury neighborhood in the center of Madrid. Everybody here is well off, and as a side note, they vote conservative. In 2010, only some Venezuelan officials lived here. Some of them even made investments. But in recent years, more and more Maduro officials have been arriving. In fact, some people are starting to call the area Little Venezuela. This quote comes from La Nación. Many times I'm in a restaurant here in Madrid, and next to me there are people I would be scared to see in Caracas said Leopoldo Lopez Gil, father of Leopoldo Lopez, a Venezuelan political prisoner. For example, the personal nurse of Hugo Chavez brought property for 1.8 million euros here in 2015. Of course, she did it in cash. And just like her, other people have come with briefcases full of money ready to buy luxury properties. Even the daughter of the Minister of Defense lives in Madrid. In other words, Maduro's officials are sending money to Venezuela in order to prepare for potential exile. Some go to Madrid, others go to Miami, few go to Bogota, and here's a good way to put some pressure on the army. Economic sanctions on government officials would restrict them from making these kinds of investments. This is nothing new, though. In fact, this is the same policy the international community has with North Korea. These kind of measures, they put a lot of pressure on the military so that they'll start thinking about turning to the democratic side. But all right, what if the army still is supporting the dictatorship? I mean, what would happen then? Can a dictatorship survive even if America doesn't recognize it? And the answer is yeah. 
For example, Mao Zedong's China was not recognized by Washington. For years, the White House considered Taiwan's government to be the legitimate government of China. And something similar could indeed happen in Venezuela. Another possibility is an open civil war. The army could fight Guaido, who would ask for international help. In fact, there are rumors that America might be sending some troops to Colombia, or so we have found news that claims that some mercenaries have been crossing the border from Brazil. Fake news or not, we can't be sure, but it would kind of make sense. Nonetheless, and this is just our opinion, but it's hard to believe that America or Europe would risk so much for Venezuela. And Maduro himself, he doesn't want a war. Civil wars can have unintended consequences for dictators, especially when they want to leave their presidential palace overnight and a group of opposers catches up with them. I mean, just look what happened with Mussolini or Ceausescu or Gaddafi. But this is... Like I say, it's just our opinion. And now it's your turn. What do you think will happen in Venezuela? Is it time for this country to recover its democracy? Or will Maduro remain in power for many years to come? So I really hope you enjoyed that episode of the podcast. This was originally a video that aired on our YouTube channel. If you'd like to get stuff right up to date as it comes out, please do search Visual Politic. That's politic with a K, one word, in YouTube, and you will catch all of our videos. Also, if you like this, please do consider leaving us a review wherever you get your podcasts. We really do appreciate it. And as always, I'll see you next time.